This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake me when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Hey, it's 12.03 on Tuesday afternoon, December 20th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. The Noon Business Hour presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Housing starts slumped last month. We'll cover that, including the local market, in our next segment. But right now, time is running short to compile a list of financial New Year's resolutions. Let's get some help from Mark Horner, Wealth Advisor, Fairhaven Wealth Management, based in Wheaton. The website, Fairhaven Wealth wealth.com. The list of financial New Year's resolutions, Mark, are they easier to attain than the traditional, I'm going to finally get in shape New Year's resolution? Oh, unfortunately, probably not. They're probably similar to those. Got to lose a, lose a few lose a few pounds, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't give up. And there's a few, there's a couple uh, that need to be, there should be addressed before we get into the new year uh, as well. So the one in particular is tax harvesting. So uh, especially if you own mutual funds in a taxable account, they, they can sometimes be sneaky in, uh, in, what their, in what their tax liability might be. So it's important to make sure that you are not set up to get yourself a tax bill next year, especially in a year when we've had so much struggle in the, in, in the investment markets. Uh, but then also taking a look at the mix of your investments. Do you have the right mix of stocks and bonds for the, the goals that you're trying to, that you're trying to achieve? Uh, life insurance is something to always take a look at, especially around life changes. So if, you had, if you've had a, an addition to the family, a baby's come into the family, making sure that you've got or you've gotten married, uh, maybe bought a house, maybe it's time to look at, to look, do you, have enough, do you have enough life insurance? And then so many accounts have got electronic access these days. It's another, another good idea one, one time uh, towards the tail end of the year to make sure that somebody that you know, either a significant other, your spouse, financial advisor, somebody in your life that you trust has got knows where your various accounts are, both assets and liabilities, just in case they need to, they need to help you with access if you're incapacitated or, or unable to access your accounts for some reason. And on the uh, subject of uh, emergencies, make sure that emergency fund is restocked. What's a decent balance? Yeah, so there's, right. There's a long list we could go through. So it 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 ranges, you know, somewhere but somewhere between a year to maybe two years of living expenses would be a would be a great target to be shooting for, and to not beat yourself up if you're not at that point. Just that you're you're working towards that towards that uh, establishing that emergency fund is really the is really the point. But yeah, a, a year of living expenses is a great place to start. And then generally, I mean, we talk about the savings rate of Americans, and a lot of Americans have burned through that savings this year. Generally, though, I don't, you know, how, how, how much does the average American have in savings, and is it a, a number greater than zero? 
Yeah, so unfortunately, most people in the United States are living are living paycheck to paycheck and don't and don't have a cushion to fall back on. So another way to think about another way to think about the emergency savings is uh, amount is to try and reduce your spending. So maybe uh, through the course of the year, you could go through that credit card statement and see what uh, automatic charges maybe have you forgotten about that are popping up on the credit card statement, and maybe go through that review. Uh, of the statement to see if there's a way to reduce your expenses, that will have the nice uh, effect of reducing the amount that you might need to save for an emergency savings account. Mark Horner, Wealth Advisor with Fairhaven Wealth Management in Wheaton, the website fairhavenwealth.com, running down the list of financial New Year's resolutions that you can undertake as 2022 clicks over to 2023. Money Talks as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Home building slumped last month. Let's check the numbers and what they mean for potential buyers with Steve Kirch, real estate editor, marketwatch.com, based in Chicago. Steve Kirch, thanks for joining us today when it comes to uh, interest rates. Rising rates means uh, lower uh, the lower number of shovels in the ground, I suppose. Absolutely, Rob. That's uh, what's happening. The Federal Reserve, with all their interest rate hikes as mortgage pushing mortgages higher, it's having its desired effect, certainly, on housing. Uh, home building uh, starts were down. Permits were down even more for the month. That signals weaker housing activity ahead. Uh, But that's, you know, I guess the price that the Fed wants us to pay to tame inflation. Is this uh, the the number of permits, you know, the month over month decline, is this lower than the pre-pandemic baseline? Yeah, so we're getting now to the point where the single-family starts are at their lowest point since May of 2020. And the permits, uh, if you just kind of forget about the three really worst pandemic months, we're back to, to where we were at the start of 2019. So it's it's pretty much erased three years of gains here. And then the uh, trajectory of interest rates, at least mortgage rates, they're beginning to tick down. Um, And that probably just reflects the cooler activity in the mortgage market. Uh, Is there a break-even point at which uh, all those uh, construction uh, crews will get back to work? You know, the home builders don't think so. They are still awfully pessimistic about what's to come, and they cite the labor problems as as one of the reasons. But their confidence index has fallen now 12 months in a row, so it's it's just not clear that even a, a slight help from a slightly lower interest rates is going to make a difference. Let's not forget rates are still more than twice as high as they were a year ago, and that really crimps buyers' ability to get a monthly payment It's kind of of tough to make a a judgment call about the local scene, especially on a day like today when temperatures are in the 20s, the ground is already frozen solid. But uh, what is uh, the housing start activity for the Chicago market? So the the latest numbers we have out of the uh, St. Louis Fed showed only 1,550 permits in the metro area were issued in October. That was uh, about 25% lower than in September so it it still looks like we're going to be lagging here as well, just like we are in the country. Just to put it in perspective, I mean, in the 90s, we were doing the 3,000 permits a month would be the low point of a cycle. So, you know, we're we're really only building about 
half of what we ever used to. Steve Kirch, real estate editor with Market Watch, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next, more people than you might think are acknowledging that they've had an office romance. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. A survey by the site Live Career finds three out of four people saying they've had a romantic relationship at work. Let's talk about the risks of that with Rick Cobb, founder of the workplace consulting firm Two Discern based in Chicago. Rick, thanks for joining us today. And uh, before we begin, I just want to say I'm the product of uh, eight years of Catholic education. And uh, back in the day of uh, high school dances, uh, if you and your dance partner got a little too close, you know, someone would, a faculty member would come in and say, uh, leave some room for the Lord. Um, it, when you have a, 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 romant, a romantic relationship with a co-worker, should you leave some room for your HR department? <laughs> Well, here's the thing. HR has no objectivity. They have they are they are obligated both by function uh, and and by by their uh, probably their role to enforce whatever rules the company has policy has about uh, relationships. And those relationships are not just romantic relationships, although that's what we're talking about. But actually, there's another intersection to this. If you have a real or perceived authority over another person in a professional role, that falls under the same umbrella. And what if everything is on the up and up? There's no imbalance of power. Both parties really like each other. There's nothing skeezy about it at all. Um, How do you prove that to whatever legal authority is uh, in charge of uh, human human resources at your business that uh, you don't get dinged for it, and and that one (laughs) one you know once you enter a relationship that one person has to find another job? Yeah, it's really tough. I mean, there's so much subjectivity. Uh, in organizations, many companies don't have any sort of a defined policy, certainly at mid-cap and smaller. Uh, what's really interesting is that about 41% of the people that work at a company don't know what their pol- if they have it and what it is. So that's the first issue. And the second issue is when do you come forward? If you ask the human resources executive, they're going to say, as soon as this has occurred, you should come forward and, 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 and be open and disclose what's going on in order to avoid anything problematic. But at the same time, you know, survival doesn't dictate that. You don't know what the relationships are in terms of who likes who, and I don't mean who likes who in terms of relation, romantically, but who, who, is, uh, who has protectors and who has enemies. So 65% of the people who have a relationship keep it secret uh, because, just because of the risk there. The other part that's really crazy is the non-compete rules. If you're in a technology-driven organization, you know, biotech, electronics, whatever, you have also the non-compete rules. And often the non-compete rules state that you cannot be in a committed relationship with somebody who's a direct competitor for you. So if me and my partner are at a company, uh, she goes someplace else and gets a job with a competitor, uh, has a, which has happened to a couple of my clients back in the past, they go from two jobs to no jobs, and it's non-compete as much as, much as it is the romantic relationships. I was going to ask, I mean, you, you do have those non-compete situations, but uh, more often than not, do uh, couples that uh, find themselves in an office romance uh, choose the path of least resistance and someone quits? I don't, well, I don't think that you can make that statement anymore because the majority of couples, regardless, particularly if it's a longer relationship, most most relationships 
that's how you survive. It's most com- most families are two income families now. So it's not very often that one partner can make the decision to quit unless they have an opportunity to go someplace else. I would not advise anybody that they quit uh, in order to avoid a, uh, a policy issue. Rick Cobb, founder of the workplace consulting firm To Discern in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. Still ahead in Travel Tuesday, strategies to survive weather delays and cancellations as you fly this holiday season. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station. News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Weather could have a major impact on travel as we head toward the Christmas weekend. Chicago's airport set to handle millions of passengers over the next two weeks. Travel Tuesday, what to do when you're facing a flight cancellation or delay. And the Postal Service is set to shift its delivery fleet to electric. WBBM Business, the markets are higher. The Dow is up 194 points. The NASDAQ is up 28. The S&P 500 is up 16. We have uh, sunny skies today, a mixture of clouds, though. High today of 35. Right now we have 32 degrees at O'Hare, Midway, and the Lakefront. Wind chills in the mid-20s. It's 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, we're bracing for the arrival of a major snowfall starting Thursday evening. The winter storm will will extend through a big chunk of the country. This is National Weather Service lead forecaster Bob Oravec. Over a foot of snow potential, especially across parts of the Great Lakes, uh, the upper Mississippi Valley, parts of the Midwest. So it's definitely a highly impactful heavy snow event across those areas, along with the you know all the wind chills and the high winds. Wind gusts in Chicago are expected to reach 50 miles per hour. Nearly 3 million people are expected to pass through O'Hare and Midway airports through January 2nd. Shethra Aranbu is headed to India to visit some family and is, and is glad to be leaving today. I think, a lot yeah, of snow there's later. a lot of snow, yeah. I'm happy I'm missing that <laughs> because I am not a really snow person. <laughs> Stay with us throughout the week for the latest on traffic and weather together every 10 minutes, plus additional live updates from AccuWeather. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are gaining ground. We're joined by Ken Crawford, portfolio manager with Argent Capital in Clayton, Missouri. Ken, thanks for joining us today. The markets were a little wobbly this morning. Was that a reflection of the uncertainty that was kicked off overnight by some uh, decisions by the Bank of Japan. Yeah. Yes, Rob. I think that's what it was. I mean, obviously, we've seen the Fed, the Federal Reserve increase interest rates. We've seen uh, the European economic community increase interest rates, the UK as well. And Japan was kind of the lone holdout. And then, as you mentioned, 
uh, actions by the Bank of Japan, I think, uh, put pressure on the market, at least at the open. And then uh, what led to the about-face uh, as the morning went on? Was it a uh, sudden realization that, hey, wait a minute, it's December 20th, we got to start the Santa Claus rally? Uh, that's, a, that's about the only thing that comes to my mind. I mean, people have talked about how difficult the markets have been this month, and as you said, the the Santa rally, people were saying, where is it? So maybe we're beginning to see it on the 20th of December. Now, have, are, do, are, do any more market movers exist in 2022? Or is this just simply about uh, setting up positions for the uh, holiday week and for the start of 2023? Uh, there are a few more earnings, but I think by and large, uh, some of the trading that you might see could be tax loss harvesting, especially with uh, 2022 being down. But I think, to your point, most people are looking at 23 and trying to figure out how to set up their portfolios and, and what stocks they might be interested in the position going forward. 2022, to me at least, was the year of on the one hand, but on the other. Uh, there was no real kind of clear through line of uh, where the economy was headed, because every time you thought it was going in another direction, another uh, data point popped up to tell you that, uh, hey, maybe you're wrong. I, I agree. And also, I, I think the market kind of reacted in that way. One day it was happy because the news was good. The next day it was unhappy because the news was good. Then it was happy because the news was bad and then unhappy because the news was bad. So rather directionless. Um, obviously, I think people are watching inflation and they're watching the Fed. I think one of the things that's been relatively consistent is the Fed's uh, continued pronouncements that it will do whatever it needs to do to stop inflation going forward. The uh, one, one thing that is probably very clear, one would hope, is that uh, we've turned the corner on inflation, it looks like, that uh, it's going to go down uh, from the 8s and 9s and 10s that we saw earlier in 2022. But getting to that 2% target is going to be tough. And uh, looking back through history over the weekend, I saw that uh, inflation, after reaching double-digit figures in the early 1980s didn't get down to 2% until 1986. It took a very long time to hit that target. And will history repeat itself this time around? Uh, well, uh, we we didn't reach that level. At least we haven't yet to begin with. But to your point, I think squeezing the last bits of inflation out of our economy is going to be difficult. So I think higher for longer for interest rates uh, is not an unrealistic expectation going forward. The uh, hiking cycle will no doubt continue, but do you think, you know, talking about higher for longer, is it just going to basically plateau at about 5%, the federal funds rate? That's what the Fed is indicating, and 5% for federal funds is certainly uh, relatively high, at least in recent history. So, I mean, one of the acronyms that we've heard before is TINA. There is no alternative with Fed funds at 5%, now we have Tara. There are, uh, there are alternatives. So I think for investors looking at bonds when in the past they were not terribly interested in bonds is much more uh, a doable investment going forward. 
Ken Crawford, Portfolio Manager with Argent Capital in Clayton, Missouri. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next in Travel Tuesday, trying to stay on track when weather threatens your flight plans. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Travel Tuesday and a major winter storm is forecast to bring up to a foot of snow to our area starting on Thursday evening. And it's part of a system that will hit a wide swath of the country and that could create major travel headaches on the ground and in the air. We're joined by Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services and Director of the Chaddock Institute based at DePaul University in Chicago. Joe, thanks for joining us today. Uh, earlier this morning, we talked about uh, on the list of uh, nightmare scenarios, where does a uh, blizzard arriving a couple of days before Christmas uh, rank on the list of uh, bad things airlines have to plan for? But if you're a passenger and you're hearing these reports and you already want to find some way out of this, what do you do? You know, I think the uh, uh, one thing that adds to the difficulty of this, we have so much advanced warning, so people have a whole week to worry about it or make changes. So it's just, uh, it's ramped things up in terms of, uh, you know, people feeling to take action. You know, I think really, uh, if you are able to shift, particularly moving earlier, it's a pretty uh, uh, nice deal. The airlines have websites set up. You can do that quickly. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday, tends, Thursday morning tend to be relatively low travel times. So I was checking, there are some seats available in major markets. Now, if you're trying to fly to Miami on uh, Thursday night, you know, you may not really not find anything. But if it's a, you know, a traditional non, non-peak market, there are options for that. I also think there's enough uh, variation still here. You know, if those winds stay below, say, 30 miles per hour, uh, planes can arrive and depart, but if they top 40, the planes are going to be sitting on the ground. We don't know yet if uh, these worst-case scenarios are going to materialize, so uh, crossing your fingers is unfortunately the best strategy for some. And I was going to say, let me ask you a question, because uh, some of the uh, the weather geek sites that I follow, uh, they're... The, the, the snowfall totals they're kind of hanging their hat on, there's a great degree of variation. Some people are calling for a foot. Some people say it could be three to seven and that the larger hazard is the blowing and drifting snow on Thursday and Friday. As far as the airlines are concerned, what is the bigger weather threat? Is it snowfall or is it high winds? It certainly is not uh, a foot of snow. I mean, we have uh, plenty of de-icing and, and plows at the airports. I think how quickly it comes down, you know, so really Thursday night when it starts is probably going to be the trickiest because we're going to have, uh, you know, lots of uh, peak flying right at rush hour. That, that said, you know, a foot of snow in Chicago is not something that shuts an airport down. Now, you throw the drifting on it, the snow, uh, the, the plowing can become a little bit futile because you you know, to plow the snow and it drifts back up. So I think uh, the visibility, I think, is something particularly O'Hare is less of a problem now than it used to. So, you know, we may see flights running maybe at limited schedules, uh, even during the middle of the snowstorm. Uh, but we, we do know that that variation, we should know by Wednesday afternoon a little more certain how bad the snow is going to be. And, and looking at the, uh, the the map of all of the major cities that are impacted by this uh, storm that's going to arrive Thursday into Friday, I mean, we think of things in terms of Chicago because we're going to fly out of O'Hare and Midway, but you're going to be impacted by the entire airline system and the ability to position aircraft at O'Hare and Midway. So now you're talking about snowstorms in Minneapolis and in Detroit and other major hubs, and how can that have a spillover effect into operations in the city? Oh, that certainly can. I think that's what's where uh, 
uh, this is going to get real tricky. And we did, I was looking at the travel advisories today, and it was you know you, I was thinking Chicago would be listed at the top, but there's several others and for airlines that listed before Chicago, showing that this is like a, a jigsaw puzzle for the airlines, and uh, uh, particularly uh, Buffalo again is expecting a lot. And you, you take uh, a couple airports out of the system, and it can jam up the whole process. Uh, the uh, I think for the airlines, that's where these preemptive cancellations will probably start about Wednesday, where they'll see the worst airports and perhaps pull the flights down so the airplanes don't get stuck. But I think that's what's unique about this, is it is a, almost a, 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 the northeast corner of the country is all affected. Well, Joe, I've seen the movie Airport, and the good news for everybody is that uh, Burt Lancaster and George Kennedy are on the job uh, later this week, so they're going to solve all the problems. Uh, Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services and Director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul University based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. Join us this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday. Still to come, the post office making a commitment to electric vehicles. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The U.S. Postal Service is ready to modernize its fleet through a $9.5 billion investment over the next six years. We're joined by Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media, former tech editor for the Today Show based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Paul, thanks for joining us today. It seems like with the uh, Postal Service fleet going all electric in this decade, you have two stories here. First off, you have a massive fleet uh, going uh, doing away with the internal combustion engine. And second, it also shows the power of federal procurement in changing technology. That's exactly right. I mean, you know, follow as the, the old adage, and certainly this show is no exception, follow the money, right? So where are, are suppliers for the infrastructure needed to charge all these vehicles going to, you know, where are they going to step in? Is Does the Inflation Reduction Act, which is, by the way, funding, it's already full, a third about of that $9.5 billion figure you mentioned is funded by the Inflation Reduction Act already, um, it was not without its resistance, but the point is, yes, if there is a giant move to that number of vehicles, there's going to be a concurrent giant move to infrastructure to back it up. Because And now a lot of that infrastructure, obviously, is going to charge those roughly 66,000 electric vehicles are going to be uh, purchased in, in, by 2028. Uh, that's obviously a lot. That's about, well, it's, it's of the 20, 220,000 vehicles it currently has, obviously about a third, a little less than a third. Well, all that infrastructure is going to help all of we consumers because, by the way, if you are interested in an EV, it's awesome. I have a plug-in hybrid. Great, but infrastructure is not perfect right now. It's just not that easy to charge your car reliably. Is there precedent in history where the uh, the U.S. government uh, really went all in on a particular technology and then the rest of the of, of private industry kind of followed along? I mean, the one thing that pops into my head right now is air travel where the U.S. government invested heavily in aircraft and aircraft technology during World War II, and then when the war ended, that all turned over and benefited the airline industry greatly. Well, I can, I can name two others. First of all, that's a great example, and I can name two others. Um, by the way, I don't know if you've heard about the automobile industry, but it's pretty big. <laughs> and the interstate um, highway system enabled lots of large vehicles to drive long distances. Uh, Before the interstate highway system, as you probably know, which was a heavily government-subsidized thing, almost entirely government-subsidized, that that allowed reliable roads almost everywhere meant that a lot of people wanted cars, and that really grew the auto industry. Same thing holds uh, true with space and space exploration. I mean, anytime you've ever put something, you know, attached two pieces of fabric together using Velcro, you've benefited from NASA and a lot of other stuff, including GPS and all kinds of other things. So, yes, 
government, you know, back to your point at the very beginning of this conversation, if government in some cases, if government invests heavily in an infrastructure or an idea, what often happens is industries follow and those industries grow and automobile and, uh, and all kinds of other space-based uh, technologies, including GPS, are, are great examples. Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media and former tech editor for the Today Show based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Thanks for joining us today. You'll find past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three, you bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com.